Uh, did our so we've got question twelve: the covenant of works or the covenant of life? To be word for word with this question, uh, Adam and Eve in the covenant of works, uh, which promised life upon the condition of perfect obedience in the probation of eating or not eating, to be more specific, not eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. So the promise is life, the threat is death, the condition is perfect obedience. So now we move forward in the story. In question 13, did our parents continue in the estate wherein they were created? Our parents, our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. And then question 14, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And then question 15, what was the sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created? The sin whereby our first parents fell from the estate wherein they were created was their eating the forbidden fruit. So that is this week. Next week we'll talk about, so this is, this week we're talking about original sin, the original act of sin that plunged all of humanity into sin and death. And then next week we'll talk about how that sin is imputed or credited to everyone who comes after Adam and Eve, uh, all of their heirs by ordinary generation. An ordinary generation we talked about already in the membership class, but that will become very important next week. Um, so to back up, we have Adam and Eve sinning against God and falling from the estate wherein they were created. So they were created innocent. They were created perfect. Uh, they were created uh, without sin. They were a good creation of God. And by this one act, they fell from that state into the state of sin and death. So here are a few things to say about this. This, is, this question and answer is talking about the historic fall of humanity, uh, which you can read all of Genesis 3 is that, that story of that actually happening in history. Adam and Eve falling from their state of innocence into the state of sin and death. And uh, they're actually receiving the curse from God. Uh, God comes as the judge and God uh, pronounces the just curse of death uh, on Adam, Adam and Eve and the curse on the serpent uh, for leading them into that rebellion. So this is, you can find in Genesis 3, we're not going to read all of Genesis 3, but I would recommend reading Genesis 3. Um, it's interesting, there's a lot of debate on when the angels fell, because you know, Satan uh, was originally a created being, an angel uh, of the Lord, uh, an angel who was created to serve God. And Satan fell, and other angels fell with him. Uh, we know this because Satan takes the form of a serpent and comes into the garden, and that's the first he comes on the scene. Uh, some people believe that the angels fell in the same time as Adam and Eve, that this rebellion is the first act of rebellion of the serpent coming into the garden. Most of 
The Reformed theologians believe that the angels fell sometime before, that Satan fell sometime before the fall of Adam and Eve. How much before, we don't know. Uh, but there was a point where Satan, uh, in pride and in desire to be God, in God's place, uh, actually rebels and falls uh, from the state wherein he was created, to be a servant of, of the Lord. Um, so that's important because uh, the rebellion of Adam and Eve comes out of their own hearts, but the occasion for that rebellion does come from a tempter, from Satan coming and speaking falsehood to them, uh, Satan coming and questioning what does Satan do? He comes and says, did God really say to not eat of this? And you know, from we did our Genesis series back uh, not that long ago, about a year ago. Um, and in that, uh, Satan twists God's words. What Satan says, did God really say this? God didn't actually say what Satan says he said. Uh, Satan twists what God actually spoke uh, and calls into question God's goodness. Uh, and God's love for his creation. Uh, so Satan twists those words, and that is the occasion where Adam and Eve fall uh, by that act of unrighteousness. So notice that they are uh, left to the freedom of their own will. So do we have free will? This is a part, trick question if you fall for the trick. We do have free will. Greg is nodding his head. What what do we mean by free will? We're free to do whatever we want. We're free to do whatever we want in what way? To sin. We are free to sin. So we would say Adam and Eve had free will. They could sin. Uh, they could fall into sin, which they did. We know that because they did. But they could also be righteous. Uh, they had a free will that was free to sin or not to sin. Uh, we have, all of us have a free will to do according to our natures. That, that sounds complicated, probably. Uh, we have a free will to do what our nature dictates that we can do. So, if Adam and Eve were born innocent, free from sin, they are in a spot where they are able to sin, but also able not to sin. But after they fall into sin, the only thing that they are able to do is to sin. Uh, so we have, we are in that spot naturally. Uh, all of us are born the heirs of Adam and Eve, and we are born with original sin. We are born only able to sin. We can do some, we would call them civil good works. That means that they're outwardly good. Uh, fallen people, sinful people can still do good things. So sinful mayors of cities can still be good mayors of cities. Uh, sinful teachers can still be good teachers. Uh, Non-Christian teachers can still be great teachers. Uh, Non-Christian um, lawyers can still pursue justice, but they're doing civil good works. They're not actually doing things that are pleasing to God. They're not actually doing things for the right motives out of purity and holiness. They're doing things because God still is gracious. God has common grace that he shows to his creation. So they can still do good things, but by their nature, by our nature, we are only sinful, only able to rebel against God. We are born hating God, uh, being uh, rebellious covenant breakers because we are born with original sin. After we are 
regenerated, it changes. Our natures change. Uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are then able uh, to still, we're still able to fall into sin. We have not yet been glorified. But the new thing is that we are able to not sin. Uh, we're able to live more and more righteous lives. And then in glory, it is confirmed, righteously confirmed, where we are able no longer to sin, but we are only able to do what is pleasing to God. Um, so I, sorry for another C.S. Lewis quote today. Uh, I forget where it's from, but he says of, I think it's a kind of the final, it's in the last battle, I think, the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, about someone after entering into glory, someone asking Aslan, who is the Christ figure, uh, asking him if it's wrong that he desires a certain thing. And Aslan says, you can no longer desire wrong things. Um, so we will one day, if we are in Christ, we will one day reach that point uh, by God's grace where we are no longer even able to want things that are sinful. Uh, we will be righteous in all of our thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes and our whole heart will be righteous all the time. But we're in the bad news. Yeah. Uh, I, as far as I know, there's, as when it comes to how many days was their creation in its innocence with Adam and Eve before the fall, there is not really like a consensus. There's a lot of different views. I think most people, so like Lewis Burkhoff, it's kind of a standard systematic theology. I think he would say it was pretty quick uh, that because God is gracious uh, and loving toward his creatures. And so going from that, we would say that this probation that Adam and Eve were under, it wasn't supposed to be this long, drawn-out thing. It was supposed to be, are you righteous? Can you prove your righteousness by living righteously with this one law? And if you can, then we're done. Um, so I don't think it was that long, but I don't know. For 10 days. Yeah, it could be. I don't know how anyone would know that, but <laughs> I'm sure there's ways, very interesting and brilliant ways people have worked it out. Procreation and a child had not been born yet. Okay. So they back figure and say it had to be within 14 days. Okay. Interesting. Wow. I don't know. That could be right. It kind of blew my mind. I was thinking originally that it was, you know, a year. Yeah. Right. And then kind of reading some of the things. And yeah, most of them are within a month or two. Yeah, I would, I would kind of say, based on knowing that God condescends and God is loving and kind, that it wouldn't be that long. Even though Adam and Eve blew it, uh, it would not be this long window where they had to drag things out. But I don't know. I don't think we can say for sure from scripture, although I, I'll check and see. So well, yeah, good question. Cain would have been conceived pretty soon after creation, I'm guessing. Well, that's the argument that he yeah. But why ten days or a month? Why yeah. not the first day that it was said? <laughs> because you know, 
I, yeah, I'm I don't sure, know. I'm sure they were enjoying each other right off the bat. And that conception could it well we might be getting a little far off. <laughs> like kind of pull it back just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean I don't think we can say for sure. Uh, and I don't want to go beyond what scripture says and extrapolate too much. I think it's worth considering. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. No, that's that is worth thinking about. Um but to get it back, we do have freedom to will. Our wills are determined by our natures. And so if you are a non-Christian, then you are not able to do anything really that is pleasing to God. Uh, you're only able to do things that are rebellious. Uh, if you are a Christian, then by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, you are able to, uh, to please God. Uh, but you're also still able to fall into sin. So that's just a short comment on that line of them being left to the freedom of their own will. But then we come to the question of what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Um, So I think you can break this into two parts. And this is why, when we do our prayer of confession, why it is pretty specific most of the time to address these two parts. So it says, sin is any want of conformity unto, so that's one, or transgression of the law of God. So you've probably heard sins of omission and sins of commission. That's right here. Uh, You can omit something that you should do. So you can have a want of conformity unto God's law. But you can also commit sins against God's law. Um, so, for example, if you have your booklet, if you turn to questions 68 and 69, because there's a whole section of the Shorter Catechism that is an exposition of the Ten Commandments. So this is one example, the Sixth Commandment. Uh, question 68 is, what is required in the Sixth Commandment? So this is, what are those positive, righteous things that the command to not commit murder calls us to. It says, The sixth commandment requireth all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. So not only is it just, if you haven't killed someone, you've kept the commandment. Because that's, you know, hopefully for most of us, pretty easy. Uh, It's more than that. It is actually positive righteousness that is required of us. It's uh, not just not doing the wrong thing, it's doing the right thing. And the larger catechism, if you check that out, which is not in this booklet, uh, but that expands on this. And so the larger catechism says, if I remember correctly, the sixth commandment not to kill, this requires us to uh, do all sorts of things to preserve our own lives and the lives of others. So it is, are you immoderately using food and drink If so, you are not preserving your life and the life of others. Are you cheerful? If you are not cheerful, then you are not fulfilling the requirements of the sixth commandment. Uh, So think about how this is saying cheerfulness is part of obeying the command not to murder. I think I talked about that a few weeks ago, but um, I think that's very interesting and very convicting uh, to us because it's so easy to be tempted to be morose, uh, 
sometimes there's good reason for that, but we're called to cheerfulness. So that is sins of omission. God calls us to obey him positively, not just avoiding the wrong things, but doing the right things. But then there's sins of commission, uh, not doing what is right, but actually actively doing what is wrong. What is forbidden in the sixth commandment? Question 69. The sixth commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. So this is the actual act of murder, but under this would fall suicide. Under this would fall anything that tends to, uh, to put people at unnecessary risk. So in the Old Testament, there's a command, a law about if you have a house, and you have a roof that you can walk on, you should have a railing or something that uh, people can walk near if they're by the edge to keep them from falling off the roof. So that is, in a way, connected to the sixth commandment. It's preserving the life of others and of yourself. So that's one example of what this question, question uh, 14, is referring to. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And that should be convicting to us because I think most of us come and when we consider the Ten Commandments, which we've done for our reading of the law, we've worked through the Ten Commandments in the Shorter Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we can sometimes think, oh yeah, I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't told any big lies this week. I haven't committed adultery. Uh, I haven't taken the Lord's name in vain, so I'm pretty good. Uh, But when you see that it is requiring of you certain good things that God calls you to do, then you see, oh, I I haven't honored God's name as holy the way that I should. I haven't necessarily dishonored it, but I haven't also actively honored it. Or with the sixth commandment, no, I haven't murdered anyone, but... I haven't been very cheerful. And I know that that can be like taking away someone's life when you're around someone who is just full of uh, anger and bitterness. Um, So that should convict us uh, that these sins are not just avoiding the wrong thing, but actively not doing the right thing. So any questions so far? The scripture proof for this is 1 John 3, 4, which is in the King James. I'm sorry, it's in the King James. I I like the King James, but uh, it's a little wordy and long. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. So the ESV says sin is lawlessness. That's what sin is. It is moral. Uh, So sin is not just evil. Um, It is moral evil. It is uh, with regard to God's law. What God requires of us is not doing that, and that is immorality. Uh, That is what sin is. So question 15 gets into the actual act of sin by our first parents. They fell from the estate wherein they were created, by eating the forbidden fruit. And this gets back to Genesis 3. Um, This is the probation. God commands them not to do this thing, and they do it. 
that is the sin. But uh, Thomas Watson, who I've referred to a lot, is really interesting. He says that this one act of sin, yes, it is one sin. But think about all the other sins that are wrapped up in what it took to get Adam and Eve to this point of disobedience. All the other sins that are involved in this act. And he lists them. So incredulity. So Adam and Eve believed this snake who slithered into the garden and spoke things that they knew probably were not true, but they never questioned. Should we be listening to this snake? This doesn't, God didn't mention anything about a snake coming in to talk to us. Uh, Should we pay attention to this creature who's saying things that don't seem to line up exactly with what God actually said? So they're incredulous. They're kind of gullible. Gullibility is not necessarily a sin, but in this case, it is. Uh, They should have known better. They're guilty of unthankfulness. Uh, God gave them every tree in the garden and only prohibited them from one. And it's one prohibition. And so they're guilty by eating of that one tree of not being thankful to God for what he has actually given. And you can probably see that in yourself, how you can ignore all the good things that you have and focus on this one thing that you wish you had that you don't. Uh, That same thing happens over and over again in our lives. Or you can have the second to the latest iPad. When a new iPad comes out, you think, ah, wow, mine isn't really that great. Mine can't do what that can do, even though it can do 10,000 more things than an iPad that still is sold at the Apple Store can do. Yours isn't the best. That's unthankfulness. That's that same sin playing itself out again. They're guilty of pride. You've probably heard this. They're guilty of pride of wanting to be like God. That's what the devil says will happen. He says, God knows that when you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. You'll know good and evil. Don't you want to know that? They're guilty of wanting to be like God, even though of all creatures, they were the most like God. Already, they bore his image. Uh, So they are guilty of pride, wanting more than what God had already given them. There's obviously disobedience. God commanded them, and they clearly disobeyed. They clearly were not obeying God. There is sinful curiosity. uh, And you can see that in what, what Eve does. She sees the fruit and sees, oh, this looks, looks pretty good. Looks pretty tasty. Uh, looks like it's kind of attractive. And so let me explore what this is. This can't be that bad if it looks so good. Uh, and there's still sinful curiosity. Uh, so many things, uh, so many sins you fall into happen because it starts out with just being too curious. I, mean, I wonder if that's really as bad as they say it is. I wonder if that, that scene in that movie is really all it's cracked up to be that people are so up in arms about it. And that leads you to all sorts of sins from that, just being curious in a sinful way. Curiosity is good, but sinful curiosity uh, is a thing. It does exist. It can lead you astray. Uh, Adam and Eve in this one sin are guilty of murder. How are they guilty of murder? This gets back to their federal, Adam's federal headship. Do you want to take a stab at it? They both died and all mankind in Adam died. Yeah. 
Yeah, they brought death into the world. Adam knew, in the words of the uh, Westminster Standards, knew he was a public person. He's not just a private citizen. He is a representative. Adam knew this. Adam knew that he was going to have children and grandchildren after him on down to us. And he knew that in that act, God had promised death as a result of disobedience. And so in that respect, he's guilty of murder. So there are all these sins wrapped up in the one act of disobedience. Um, So we've said sin is guilt because sin is lawlessness. So, I mean, part of what our reading of the law is intended to do every week, as might sound like not a very helpful thing, but it is a helpful thing, is to remind us of our guilt. Uh, To remind us that when we hear God's holy law, we should feel guilt for our sins because we've broken it. Uh, We have not lived the way that we should. Uh, We should feel guilt when we hear God's law. Uh, But sin is also pollution. So a few verses for this. Jeremiah 17.9, you might know. Jeremiah is not the most go-to book of the Bible, but it's inspired and useful. And this is one of the best-known verses. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All of us have sick and deceptive hearts. Uh, That's what scripture says. And you know this, you know it deep down inside, that your heart, naturally apart from God's grace, is deceptive, uh, is unclean, is polluted, is not what it should be. And then Romans 7, 18. And this, I think, Paul is talking about himself after after conversion, I know there's a big debate on that. I think that seems most likely to me. But Romans 7.18. Paul says of himself, um, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I did I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I wonder if you know that this is true. Uh, even for believers, you can know the right things, know the things that you should be doing. It can be as simple as, I know right now I should be doing my job instead of surfing the internet. That's such a 90s term surfing the internet. I know I should be doing my job instead of refreshing my Instagram feed. You know that, but what do you always do? You refresh your Instagram feed. Uh, You know the good that you should do, and you know that you, apart from God's grace, have no ability to do it. And the the things that you don't want to do as a believer that you know are wrong, you know are sins that Jesus died for, you do those things over and over again. You, it's, it is possible as believers to fall into habitual sin. Um, so sin is pollution. And then we believe 
in total depravity, which for the membership class we talked about already. But total depravity is not saying that humanity is as bad as you can get. Uh, we're not all Hitler, like we said. Uh, we're not all Pol Pot or any other dictator or any other malevolent person you can think of. We're not all as bad as we can get. And even those awful, evil men were not as evil as they could be. Uh, if you can imagine that, there is still more that they could have done that God restrained them from doing. Total depravity means that everything we do is tainted by sin. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, um, we call it the noetic effects of sin. Sin affects your mind. Uh, sin affects the way that you think about things. So we don't believe that uh, our mind is purely rational and unaffected by sin. We believe that our minds and hearts are fallen. So sin is the problem. Uh, sin is the root of everything that we see that is wrong in the world today. Uh, so if you think about racism, if you think about uh, police shootings, and then those leading to shootings of police, think about in L.A. County just a week ago, uh, the L.A. County sheriffs who were shot. If you think about uh, global pandemic, and if you think about uh, what some of us may deem unnecessary restrictions in response to that pandemic, all rooted in sin and the fallenness of this world brought about by Adam and Eve's first disobedience. So we believe we are totally depraved. And these questions kind of highlight that. And next week we'll talk about how that sin is communicated to us, meaning how it's transferred from Adam and Eve to us. Uh, but how should we apply this? Because it is bad news. It's kind of bleak. If you really under, are understand, understanding sin and convicted of sin, it's bad news. Uh, no bones about it. But we can see these things that are true, that are bad, that are wrong with us and with the world, and it highlights God's amazing grace. So if you think about the fall of Satan, the fall of the angels, when they fell, God did not initiate a covenant of grace with the angels to save the angels, the fallen angels. But when Adam and Eve fell, his image bearers, what is the first, one of the first things God does, even in Genesis 3? He promises his grace. He promises that there will come a redeemer who will crush the head of the serpent, that uh, there will come life for those uh, who are in the covenant of grace with him. So, highlights God's grace. It calls us to hate sin. Uh, to, uh, to see sin for what it is, to see the sin that lurks in each of us. So if you, I think I've quoted G.K. Chesterton already, but uh, you may have heard this, when G.K. Chesterton was asked by the editors of a newspaper to contribute an essay on the problem with the world today, the question was, what is the problem with the world today? Uh, he wrote back and said, Dear sirs, I am. I am the problem with the world. And that's what, that should be true of all of us, because we can so easily look outside of ourselves and say, well, the problem with the world today is these people, or this fact, there's, uh, you know, urbanization, we're losing our green spaces, and we don't have access to nature anymore, or the problem with the world today is 
uh, that there are these people of a certain ethnicity. That's how racism happens. Uh, the problem with the world today is that uh, there's poverty and people would uh, not do sinful things if they were lifted out of poverty. And none of that is really getting to the root of what the problem is. We all do, we all do that. We rationalize our sin and look for it outside of ourselves when really it's inside. Uh, it is inside of us that the problem lies. And the solution lies outside of ourselves. We'll get to that. The solution of God's grace, the covenant of grace, is coming soon. There's one more week of the bad news. But the bad news makes the good news shine that much brighter. Um, but let me give you a taste of the good news. If you, We don't want to end on a, on a dour note of sin. So let me read Ephesians 2. Just a few verses. It starts with the bad news. Ephesians 2, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So that's the bad news. These are all things that are true of us apart from God's grace. But here's the good news. The next verse, the very next verse, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's the bad news and the good news, which have to be side by side. And they are in Scripture, and they are in the Catechism, and we will get to the very good news, uh, which is coming soon, because, let's look ahead, there's some questions about what it means for sin and misery to exist, but then in question 20, I'm not going to read the answer, just the question, did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? And the shorter answer is no. Uh, but the longer answer is that there is a Redeemer. And question 21 is, who is the redeemer of God's elect? So that is coming soon. And next week we have the picnic, so in about three weeks we will get to the very good news. So any questions?